This is episode 17 of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox, to play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the first Now Is podcast interview conducted by someone other than myself. May there be many more. I convinced my friend Ryan Packard, himself an excellent drummer, composer, and improviser, to interview Catherine Young, which he did on October 18th, 2016, at her home in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Chicago. Big thanks, big thanks, big thanks, big, 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 big thanks to Ryan for doing it. Katie is a Chicago-based bassoonist, improviser, and composer who works in the worlds of new composed music, improvised music, and the intersection of the two. You're about to hear some of the fourth movement of Diligence is to Magic as Progress is to Flight from her 2014 album of that name, performed by Ensemble Dal Niente. A few tracks in, you'll hear a bit of Composition 367B by Anthony Braxton, played by a quartet that includes Katie from Braxton's album Quartet Moscow 2008. And at the end of the interview, you'll hear Feldspar by Katie's group Pretty Monsters, from their self-titled album from 2012. To find out more about Katie's different projects, upcoming performances, and that sort of thing, check out katherineyoung.info. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store, perhaps you already have. You can also stream it at nowis.org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that Ryan played for Katie. You can also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Ryan Packard and Katherine Young.
Hello, this is Ryan Packard, and I'm here with Katie Young, the amazing bassoonist, improviser, composer, um, and probably a million other things that I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Um, so Ben Remsen, for some reason, asked me to do this. I feel <laughs> totally unqualified, but in any case, we're going to listen to some tunes and have some discussions. So here's the first one. guess what this is? Oh, okay, we're supposed to talk, <laughs> supposed to, supposed to talk over the music? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to. We could be completely silent. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely a bassoon. Yeah. Um, I think I, uh, Barrio Sequenza, probably. Totally. Um, mostly because there aren't that many bassoon solo pieces that are well-recorded. Mm -hmm. But also there's that... Uh, You've, we haven't heard like any breathing, and this piece is notorious for requiring circular breathing, I think, so. Yeah, it, it's been non-stop for almost, um, almost two minutes now. Yeah. <laughs> Does this one focus around A? Isn't, doesn't he have some sort of thing with A, a natural barrio? I don't know for sure. I actually avoided listening to this piece for a really long time because, like, it was the, it was like, the piece. Like the mecca. And for some reason, I just sort of obstinately didn't listen to it for, <laughs> I mean, for a really long time, like a stupid amount of time. You were never asked to play it. No, and I actually can't circular breathe, so I have never played it. But it sounds good. Yeah. And he does a lot of like timbre trill stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there that I like to do as an improviser, but so I don't know. Yeah, it's funny I didn't listen to this for a long time. The sequences are pretty great though as a resource, and mm -hmm. I mean, and as just like solo pieces, some better than others, I guess. But have you looked at the score to this piece? Yeah, not in a long time, or not in a while, but. Uh, it's not too crazy of weird notation. Most of the stuff is pretty no easily notated, I think. But like, the, yeah, the pitch bends are probably the, 
hardest things because those aren't super idiomatic. No, not at all. There's like a few spots on the bassoon that are really good for pitch bends, but a lot of places are not. <laughs> How long is this piece? Oh man, it's like a solid 18 minutes or so. Yeah. Of maybe non-stop circular breathing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we definitely have to listen to the whole thing. That might have been like the first time there Some was... Some nice bassoony parts yeah. there. When did you start moving away from the standard repertoire of bassoon playing and getting into... <laughs> was it pretty much right away when you got to school or before school? This is... Well, uh, Oberlin, right? Yeah. Well, in yeah, so in college, I spent like a few years freaking out and trying to make reads and just being like totally intimidated. And then I, I got, I started listening to. I got sort of involved with more of the new music performance that was going on, and at some point in my second or third year, probably second year, I don't really remember exactly, but I was just like so disinterested in the in playing Poulenc or Andante in Hungarian Rondo by Karl Maria von Weber, which is a terrible piece that unfortunately <clears throat> both the is a there's has been has been like arranged for bassoon and viola, two instruments that have rough time with repertoire. And so <laughs> it's a terrible piece. And I don't know, I you know I mean the definite like the definite moment when I was like, I'm not cut out to be an orchestral musician was somewhere in my fourth year. I was at the Aspen Summer Music Festival Orchestra or orchestra Camp, mm -hmm. and this uh, conductor was like, or no, the, no, a bassoonist who was teaching a master class was like, when I was auditioning for orchestras, every morning I would wake up, look out the window, say, oh, it's a beautiful day, pull down the shade, and go back to practicing excerpts. And I was just like... <laughs> That sounds like my personal hell. Soul sucking. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I had already realized that I wasn't really like a very good practicer, which is like essential, I think, for being a good a good performer of, of notated music. You have to be good at practicing. For sure. And I was like not that good of a practicer. Um. So anyway, but yeah, but sometime in my. By my senior recital, I was I played all new new pieces and mm -hmm. um, stuff from the twentieth century. And like, did composition start in undergrad as well? Was that something you were interested in? It was. I didn't do a lot of it officially. I felt, for whatever reason, very like somewhat constrained by my assigned role as performer mm -hmm. within the conservatory. Um, and I took a class that was um, taught by Randy Coleman that was like trends in contemporary music, which um, was more of a was sort of a more of a musicological theoretical approach, sort of conceptual approach to different compositional trends. And I don't think we did a lot of writing. We did a lot of analysis. Mm -hmm. um, and then I took a class with uh, Lewis Nielsen that was on. It was for composers and performers, and it sort of looked at repertoire, extended techniques, and then sort of had paired performers and composers together 
to like work on things and I did some composing in that. And then my friend Clara Latham and I wrote a piece together, note for note, for bassoon and accordion. But our accordion part was way too hard for anyone we could find to play, so we ended up making it for two accordions, like spatialized. <laughs> it did get performed. I have no, I have no memory of what it sounded like. Um, but <laughs> so that was like the first piece I wrote. Like literally, I think we were like, "How about a G sharp?" You know, we went through it together. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then, but it was really once I moved to Chicago that I just, I started like, kind of you know, reinventing the wheel and teaching myself the way a lot of people do, I think, at a certain point mm-hmm. when they're just, like, trying stuff and they don't know very much yet, but they're just trying whatever. Wait, so you were here right after undergrad? Yeah, yeah, I came here. Before Wesleyan? Yeah, I okay. came here for three years. And, um, yeah, exactly, and I just would write weird things for people to play. I did a concert at 3030, the old Elastic, which was over in that church on 3030 Cortland Mm -hmm. and I had like a piece for like three basses and bassoon I like made a weird CDR that I like gave out to people where I like had made pieces in the computer and like with my voice I think Fred Lonberg Holmes still has a copy of and like reminds me of sometimes (laughs) to make me feel (laughs) feel weird (laughs) I don't think he does it to make me feel weird but it does and like I don't know a few other things that I had just put together with people I knew um and then I started writing more for like this chamber group that I had with people I'd gone to Oberlin with Till by Turning and we still play together sometimes but I wrote some stuff for Till by Turning and then yeah sort of one thing led to another mm-hmm. we did a concert at Wesleyan Till by Turning did playing some music by Jessica Pavone mm-hmm. yeah. and me and Anthony Braxton came to our concert because he had already been working with Jessica and that was like how he kind of met how I met him that's the first time you met him yeah and that was sort of what helped precipitate the Wesleyan thing I think so anyway yeah oh well well that's a nice segue to this Braxton's composition number 19 for 100 tubas that are they're marching right it's the thing I believe so yeah I'm actually I, I I'm actually planning to learn a lot more about this piece like literally tomorrow yeah. <laughs> because I'm gonna teach it in my in my class on the day um, but yeah the perf- the composer's notes do talk about it being parade music I only have 200 works already that have never been performed. <laughs> so I guess because what happened was apparently the original score was lost. 
and he rewrote it in 2006 mm-hmm. for the premiere. So what's in the composition notes, I assume, is related to the original score, but the score that exists is actually from 2006. So. So you were part of uh, the Falling River. Yes, I played. I played in. Um, I played Falling River music with Braxton for a few years. Um, a few sh- concerts we did. So what's the uh, idea behind Falling River? It's, is it like a, it's like it's a graphic score based ensemble, right? Yeah. So the Falling River musics are his graphic, or some of his more graphic score pieces. So. The scores that we worked with were entirely graphic. They tended to be, they tend to be like colorful, but then also sort of like colorful shapes mixed with sort of schematic-like um, markings, and numbers, and symbols, mm-hmm. kind of in conjunction. And usually, we would play. Everyone would play their from a different one. So. In a concert, you would you'd be given one to use for an hour's set, and uh, everybody would have a different one. And you'd kind of just you'd kind of use them as you wanted. I mean, he didn't ever tell us how to interpret them, but um, you could. But you could if you knew some of his symbology, like from the language musics and other things. You could see similar similarities. And you could use that as part of your interpretation if you wanted. For instance, like hmm. seeing triangles could remind you of the short attacks mm-hmm. um, language music type, and then you could go with that if you wanted to or not. Um, but yeah, they. It was often also. It wasn't like you had to stare at the score the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be something I think that you could come in and out of. You could use to inspire you, and then. Just get in, get in, use your, you know, listening to guide the improvisation and then come back to it, and then come back to it, and then come back to it, and then come back to it.
special song. Yep. One that I've actually covered. I think it's quite beautiful that you chose to cover this particular tune, Soon to be Innocent Fun, yeah. slash Let's See. Yes. So, um, how'd you go about covering it and uh, or transcribing it and understanding this particular song piece? I should say. Well, I was, I was at some point in like 2005 or something. I this this wonderful guy who had a label asked me to make a record, and he asked me to propose like a few things that I wanted to do. And one of the things I proposed was a solo record. <laughs> But she was like, that's what we should do, great. But I, had, I didn't have any solo music. <laughs> so I <laughs> had to make some. And then I made the record, and then I had to figure out how to play it live, because I made the pieces in the studio, really. Or like, I didn't write, I didn't, I didn't have like, I had been playing them live and then recording them, and then I recorded them. It was like very much developed in the studio, and then I had to figure out how to do it live. And so I was, and, I, and at some point I started, you know, I said yes to doing a solo concert and I had to like come up with what I was going to do. And I was really scared. I was really, it was really, you know, terrifying idea of like having to sit up there by myself. And so I don't know at what point I decided to do this Arthur Russell, but you know, I, I had been listening to his music for a number of years and I mean, it's just, like, this is so beautiful and sonically interesting, like, right. and he's doing all this layering stuff, and I did it with no layering, and just, I don't even know if I did it initially with any effects, so when I started, at this point, I wasn't even barely using much amplification, like, maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. I didn't have my whole pedal rig even all set up at this point, but... I'd like to hear what you would do with it now, actually, considering how um, textural and timbrely focused your solo thing is. Um, yeah, I still, I mean, he's definitely, but I can't sing, I can't like sing and play. So I, so I, I guess, but I, I guess that was kind of a nice challenge and like, yeah. and without using any kind of layering or looping, it meant that I had to kind of pick the different voices apart because mm -hmm. there's that there's the sort of harmonic layer that we're hearing right now and then there's like a more percussive stuff that happens and then so I would just sort of alternate I, I kind of made three or four voices you know out of the, out of the, the music mm -hmm. and I would I think I also figured out like sort of the chorus verse structure and, but I wanted to play the melody and the accompaniment, and so I had to kind of, I sort of, I would, I sort of bounce back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which actually is like how I like, like I was playing in some rock bands at the time, and that was like one of the things, and pop bands, and I was living in New York, and that was like one of the things I really liked doing was like, like in our, in a, this band I had with stuff. Actually, my friend Clara, who I wrote the accordion piece with, mm -hmm. and Amy Simony, who I, 
play a lot with, and our other friend Seth Garrison, we had a band called The Fancy. And it was like viola, bassoon, two voices, guitar, and keyboards. And we would play like, you know, very, very poppy songs. And But our roles would always shift, like, because we didn't really have a bass, we didn't have any drums, we had guitar, but like, so we would all kind of like, sometimes I would be the bass. Sometimes the piano would be the bass, keyboards would be something, guitar, so who's playing, who's cover, keeping the rhythm going, like everybody's jobs would kind of shift around a lot, mm -hmm. which is a lot like playing chamber music, mm -hmm. you know, but it was really fun, mm -hmm. and I, so I, I don't know, maybe that was sort of part of what was informing my thinking, but it was like fun to like try to juggle all, all of the different parts myself, right. you know, um, and then I just had to make it way more spacey like spacious like with a lot more silence mm -hmm. and not try to have it sound as like constant sound you know constant and dense as his version is this version is yeah after seeing you do solo i've seen you do solo like a couple of times where we've played together a, a, yeah. a bunch of times at this yeah. point and i and after listening to arthur russell and then finding online that you were covering so much arthur russell and i remember actually the first time we met we talked about, I believe, Arthur Russell, and it made me realize how much um, how much I could hear this interest in like layers of timbre and finding the voices, um, and also like having this like color sensibility come out of of like your electronics and like just your acoustic playing, you know. Um, yeah, and this this album is, I think, especially interesting. Well, this one is like it's so intimate feeling. Yeah. It's not it's not as extroverted or like dancey as Another, some yeah. or like as folksy as others. It's like it really just feels like like you should be in your bedroom. By yeah, yourself. totally bedroom music. Yeah. Like with yeah, and I I think I liked. You know, trying to think about how you want to approach solo playing is, I think, I kind of started, I, I sort of really come, I don't know, I've sort of had like this idea that you can either, like effective solo performance sort of tends to be in one of a few realms. It's like either super virtuosic in an, almost an energy kind of way where you're just like watching this person especially if they're a wind player, just like blow their brains out. Right. And like, it's just like you're watching them just exert so much physical effort mm -hmm. and this, as this sort of virtuosic solo performer. Like that's one way to go. You can also go for like a really vulnerable situation as a solo performer. Mm -hmm. And there's others, of course, but like, I guess I, I've... I haven't, I never felt like totally like I wanted to only be in one camp or the other, but I've thought a lot about like in this piece, in this part of my set or whatever, this is like a moment to be like as exposed and as I can be. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I think what this music feels so exposed to me. And so I think that's part of the reason I was interested in working with Have you seen the documentary yet? Yeah. I have not seen it. It's Is really it, good. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's great. I mean, and there's really, really beautiful interviews with his parents. And actually, Ermi um, know and they know his parents. Really? <laughs> yeah, because they have their house Peter in Iowa. Yeah, Peter know and Ernie know Arthur the, Russell's parents. I think so because they have a house in Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Which is, anyway. Yeah, it's a Frank Lloyd Wright yeah, house. Yeah, so Ernie's told me I should come out and like meet meet the person. <laughs> never, I've never had a chance, but yeah, it's a small world. But um, yeah, the documentary is good. But he's like a Renaissance man. That's also why I kind of see yeah. this. Like you know, he he was composer. He does pop music. You know, he does like um, yeah. And I mean, his like ex- his more experimental experimental things seem pretty interesting. They're hard to get your hands on them. Yeah. Um, I so I don't know very much about them. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know your new He's a, a really interesting figure. You can go back from here. Look to the moon and back to the trees. go around there and you can do. You can see us go It's a calm morning. I'm on Kitts Beach in Vancouver. Oh, okay. It's slightly overcast and very mild for January. Uh It's absolutely wind still. The ocean is flat, just a bit rippled in places. Ducks are quietly floating on the water. Uh, is it... I'm standing along some Hild- large rocks Hildegard full of barnacles Westerc- and seaweed. Actually, I don't know how to say her name. Hildegard Westerkamp? Is it I think Westerkamp? I think it might just be Westerkamp. But maybe it's Westerkamp. Never heard... Never heard I, guess, I don't know that I've ever said it that. Yeah, um, She's Canadian, but also... Also German, so I guess Westerkamp. But maybe Westerkamp. But maybe Westerkamp. Yeah, I don't know. Um... I don't know which piece this is. It's a Kitts Beach Soundwalk okay. from uh, 1989. Okay. Nice. I thought this would be a pretty the funny one to play, or zone. interesting, not necessarily funny, but, but um, because it's a, it's like a, a, a guided, you know, her soundwalk. It's like a guided field recording yeah. that we're about to talk I over, and this is a field recording <laughs> that people will be listening to that may also be talking over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many, how many, how many times are we not really listening here? <laughs> yeah. Have you checked out her sound walking things or her, some of her ideas her on uh, on? Uh, In fact, it is spectacular. Just I don't know. I don't know. Or what are your thoughts and ideas on this? I don't know her, I don't know her work as well as I should. Um, I mean, I've, li- I li- I've listened to some things that I really like, um, but. I mean, I've, uh, yeah, the Soundwalk, and, I mean, it's definitely not, I wish I were, I wish it were, like, but something I did, like, every day. But I'm trying to listen to those tiny mm-hmm. in more detail now. But Suddenly, the background sound is not something I do every day. <laughs> um, it interferes with my listening. 
it occupies all I have had like space. periods where I've and I can't been sort of trying to do it more often mm-hmm. and it does it is a really it seems a really beautiful experience that like changes your um, relationship to being in the world Luckily, I think, in a really we have bypass filters and equalizers <laughs> we can just go into the studio and get rid of the city uh-huh. Pretend it's not there. I love Pretend that. Pretend <laughs> we are somewhere far away. It's a beautiful recording. Yeah. These are the tiny, the intimate voices of nature, of body, of dream, of the imagination. It's an interesting idea to, to uh, hers to like guide and to talk through the recording to not just make the recording but rather to narrate it. Yeah, and to choose how we understand the field recording by like you know as she you know added effects you know the, yeah. the filters to get us to hear these barnacles up close. That high frequencies charge our brain. And give us energy. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? Like, yeah. it's not like sounds in my dreams. It's a neutral. Those are the healing dreams. Process anyway that mm-hmm. won't have a. In another dream, I heard bullets tinkling, bouncing like tiny. A little bit bullets. also like, I mean, a man was pursuing. I think with because a gun. of her slight accent, it like makes me. But the bullets. Think of Werner Herzog somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny seductive semen can play all around me. Like in the PH2, made from the sounds of the discharge of smoldering charcoal, tinkling all over the Brussels pavilion, like needles darting from everywhere, as the says. These were the human dreams, energizing. I used this um, field recording of cicadas that I made at my mom's house in Mississippi um, in a recent piece that was played at the Ear Taxi Festival. And I expected... I I somehow expected that it would be really obvious. Like it it felt really loud and like a really uh, heavy-handed kind of sound to me when I was working on the piece, um, but I was interested in the concert that, like, talking to people afterwards, that a lot of people didn't, well, some people at least didn't necessarily immediately hear them as cicadas, or they heard the, like, I talked to two people, we had a conversation, the three of us, where one person was like, oh yeah, the cicadas part, and the other person was like, what part? And (laughs) so, that was interesting, because I just figured it was such a ubiquitous sound, anybody who spent the summer in Chicago or anywhere in the sort of Mississippi River Valley and also it seems like it's a sort of almost a cliche of a (laughs) field recording to make Mm. um but yeah somehow it didn't it uh it didn't like register to people which is interesting I always I often feel like when I'm writing stuff that it's going to be so obvious 
<laughs> and usually it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. Not so obvious. <laughs> so, yeah. So I feel like I'm, I often feel like when I'm composing that I'm so, I'm, so, I'm being super literal. Like, I, I mean, I think in some ways I'm a pretty literal person. Like, I kind of, like, take people at face value generally and, mm -hmm. like, assume people are being straightforward, which is, of course... I mean, I'm not so naive to actually think that people are, but <laughs> I kind of, there's a part of me that like emotionally always assumes people are being like honest and straightforward. And, and so, yeah, I end up being, I think, I think I have this tendency to think pretty literally sometimes, but then the translation process always like makes things way more complicated and interesting, I guess. Uh, this also might be a good segue but, for this piece then. Oh, does it does it guiro? Yeah, yeah, it's a helmet lachemann. I mean, it sounds like a guiro, so. <laughs> I always thought that was funny how literal yeah. this piece is. Totally. <laughs> it's what's great about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a really good, it's a really good idea piece, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to keep the pedal down the whole time? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the... It's, it's kind of like the under... What, the upside down... So I think speaking of Stranger Things... The, like the upside <laughs> you were talking down, about Stranger Things earlier today. It's, like, it's the upside down world guero. Right. The creepy resonance. <laughs> Yeah, this piece sounds so good on recording and is like, in my experience, really hard to do live. Mm -hmm. have the same yeah, there is something very special about how how the close miking and the mixing of actually majority of Lachemann's music actually makes. I mean, well, it makes sense because it's, it's there's so much nuance. There's it's all quote unquote extended technique. Well, yeah, there's yeah, there's so much sonic, de there's so much detail there. A lot of detail. I, I mean, I always wonder why he wouldn't just make it for amplification. You know, he doesn't. Yeah. Are you meticulous in the studio when you're mixing? When you're dealing with recordings? I would ever call myself meticulous in any context, but I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to make things sound as good as you can, mm -hmm. for sure. And at a certain point now, I, I mean, yeah, I've definitely found that I want to just have also another pair of ears on things whenever if I can. So 
you know, actually working with an engineer. I mean, it's can't always do that, but when I can, it's best because then you know. I mean, I can do some. I can do some. I can do this stuff sort. You know, in Pro Tools or whatever. I've like taught myself, but my a lot of my techniques are pretty like weird workarounds and like I'm sure there are more effective ways to do or more direct ways to do things mm. and, um, so getting somebody else in there who's like just knows exactly how to achieve the, the right thing is always best yeah I don't know what all those plugins do you know yeah. there's only so much time in the, in the day always, you can only <laughs> be an expert at so many things yeah it's really true This is a nice recording, though. It's really nice. Is that gliss out? Is that an airplane outside, or is that in the recording? Oh, that might be, that might be like an airplane outside, okay. mixed with like a really distant siren. Oh, we're we're deep and deep listening at this point. <laughs> I I don't. Yeah, I guess it's not part of the reverb. That would be weird. No. The reverb we're descending like that. Well, it's, yeah, and this piece is nice because it starts off so literal, but now like I know Guero could do that. No. But there's is a, a real beauty to the commitment of st sticking with the Guero idea and and only what there's like that those last few notes it's just like those yeah. are the only clear like piano like played notes besides like the very top end of the piano like middle of the piece but, mm -hmm. um yeah i've noticed in some of your compositions that you also have this sort of commitment to sounds like a really a hyper focus in material do you think about material in this way yeah, and well, I mean, I feel like I, I kind of am constantly swinging between sort of two ends of the spectrum where I like both want to listen really closely to detailed sounds, and then I also want like this, I have this sort of other more maximalist impulse to like put a bunch of things together that maybe that like I perceive as being connected but maybe don't seem connected at first mm -hmm. um or that like I have some some uh you know like intuitive intuitive sense like I think these things are related um so sort of balancing like those impulses which sometimes don't work together very well but I think Sometimes they can, or they can, like, you can sort of, you can have moments where you move in and out of different modes, right? Mm -hmm. Different modes of listening. Um, so, and I don't know, I mean, I'm also not a, I'm not, I often, I used to think I was, like, a bad listener, because I did, because my mind would wander a lot, but now I've just decided that it's just different. <laughs> <laughs> that... Yeah. I mean, 
that you know, and that I actually want to write pieces that encourage that allow for and encourage people to be quote to be quote unquote bad listeners or to have their mind mind wander. Mm-hmm. In other words, for like people to start to be able to listen really closely to detailed sounds, and then have something trigger like a a connotation or an association with something. Maybe another piece, but or maybe like something not musical at all, or may, yeah, maybe it's like the incorporation of a field recording that then makes you think about your mom's house or makes you whatever think about camp I mean I don't know what a cicada makes people think about but like um and I and then like you 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 like go out of the piece for a while Mm -hmm. you have your own thoughts and then you maybe come back in Mm -hmm. and I, I think that I like that idea at least that's how I listen so that's really the only you can really only I guess write music for how you little little earlier but I understand why you said that so a little little bit earlier to do that or not. But I don't know what the rules on this are. I don't think there are any rules. Well it was this was around in nineteen eighty one. This album this album came out in nineteen eighty one. And the album's uh I believe called the seat. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I can picture the I can picture the YouTube link. I think you're you're cold <laughs> Warmer and but I, can't, <laughs> I can't come up with a band name. Yeah. It's uh, this heat, right? Right, uh, right, right, right. The, right. the track Paper Hats, yeah. I didn't know they were so early, I, yeah. didn't, know, I didn't know very much about them. Yeah, English post punk, yeah. This I uh, thought about Pretty Monster actually while listening to this heat. I was thinking about um, this like idea of, of being able to like stick together a variety of material. Oh, and cool. sort of, and it's not like a freeform way, but it makes sense together, but things can really flow between each other. Yeah. Like one section to the next. Like that was a really great transition. Right? Did they do that live? No, I, I think that might have been studio. Just an edit. Yeah. I mean, they're really into like tape manipulation as well, so I think there was some yeah. studio things going on. 
Well, it's funny because with Pretty Monsters, we, I mean, I, need, I like need to write us new music really badly, but I haven't had the chance. So what we've done in the last few shows is just, is to sort of start pulling apart what were originally like very discreet songs or pieces and now we like have been layering them or I told people they could like, like we'll be playing something and if they want somebody wants to start playing a different one they can <laughs> at any point <laughs> um actually sort of taking a Rex and Rex Donian approach to the material where it's like all could be mixed up and we had a pretty fun time the last time we played which was a while ago now but so it's uh it's Mike Pride and um, Mike Pride on drums and right. Erica Dicker on right. violin, violinist and Owen Stewart Robertson on guitar. Um, and we were all in were we all ever in the same place? I think we were all in New York briefly. But then people moved, myself included. But now Eric is back in New York and Mike He's always been in the New York area, and Owen's out on the West Coast, so it's, I mean, you know, pretty impractical band. I, and I've had other people play with us, and it's worked well, but there's something about this original lineup that I just sort of I really like, and I mean, I really wrote the music for these people, mm -hmm. and so... I think now I'm just sort of resigned myself that we'll play very rarely, but I'll just try to keep playing with those four because mm -hmm. for those three, because it's always really fun. Um, hopefully, we're gonna play a show in Philly in April. But um, yeah, it's so I don't know. So yeah, I, I uh, the music for that group is pretty is pretty diverse, mm -hmm. but it actually came about from that same moment where I was. Um, had like recorded the solo album and I had to perform it live and actually before I performed any of the pieces from the solo record on my own live I arranged them for the band so that was like an intermediary step for me also it was like well I'm not ready to play by myself but I could <laughs> make, make other versions for for me plus some other people and feel better about it and sort of take some of the sort of deeply buried ideas behind the solo pieces and like make them more explicit like there's a track um there's a piece on the pretty monsters album called patricia highsmith that's like basically just like a sludgy b-flat blues <laughs> uh you know heavy blues and like that was what i had been thinking about when i made this solo piece also this that's on the that's on my solo record but i you know it just doesn't doesn't sound like that so much when it's just the bassoon. <laughs> but then I could make it way more. I could just be more overt mm -hmm. and direct with the ideas with the band. So that was that was sort of fun and yeah. And it's like it's it's, it's all your tunes. It's not, it's is it collaborative as well or um, I mean yeah. At this at this point, it's just my stuff. I mean, uh, yeah. Maybe that's what has. Maybe that's how we get more repertoire. <laughs> what other people <laughs> um we do we do a cover of a nico song uh it was a pleasure then which is what i did at that oberlin show we we did recently oh yeah which i forgot to announce i should have announced that that was a i did i actually didn't realize that was yeah, a cover I, sh I, I 
forgot to announce it. Yeah. It's bad of me. <laughs> oh, I mean. But uh, yeah, we do okay. we do a version of, of that song with Pretty Monsters. But otherwise, otherwise it's like, yeah. Um, and some of them that are on the record we haven't played much beca- live because there there's one piece that's like quite tricky, and it's like fully notated. And we just, you know, living all around, we just usually don't have time to rehearse. Mm-hmm. So there's actually material that we have that we haven't overplayed, which would be fun to play again. But, uh, yeah, and also I think, like, we can just, at this point we've been playing together long enough that, like, I think we, we can also just open things up a lot and it can be pretty, pretty free. And I think it can work. Because the... Because we still have sort of this sound, mm-hmm. you know, that has been established and sort of built over through working on the pieces. Well, I think this has been a lovely interview. Thanks talk for talking, thing. Ryan. Yes, thank you for sitting down with me. For My the, pleasure. For this lovely podcast, uh, I'm sure Ben Remsen will Hopefully. have a have a great time. Maybe editing this with me. (laughs) Thanks, Ben. (laughs) Cool. All right. Until next time, insert fade out music.